This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. This morning, I'm going to be finishing off the series in praying with Paul. And the topic I've been given is suffering. Um, Firstly, let me caveat that. We're not talking about the suffering that I've been going through recently of my sports team losing again this week. We're not talking about the suffering where if your husband is playing 90s boy bands on repeat really loudly um, and your wife has to put up with it, we'll pray for Joe Mo later. And we're not talking about the suffering that you'll kind of put up on social media with a hashtag first world problems. That's not what we're talking about. This morning, when Howard asked me if I'd preach on suffering, I think he asked me both a real keenness and a real cautiousness. I think he he knows me well and he knows the year that we've had. And so he is keen for me to speak on suffering because he he knows that actually it's been a difficult year. And he was keen because actually when you speak from a place of suffering, I think it's easier for other people to think, yeah, I hear that. But there's also a cautiousness. Actually, is this topic too raw for you, Andy? Mm. But actually, I'd probably argue, actually, this is one of the few subjects I'd be willing to talk about right now. I think when Howard asked me to preach, I really wasn't keen. I was like, I really don't know. But I thought, yeah, let's do it. The reason why I think it's important is because as a church community, we should be opening up Scripture, finding truths in the Bible, truths from God that can help us through times when, when times are hard. And it's also important for us as a church to get into the habit of talking with others when we're suffering, not keeping it in and sharing it. And I hope as I share some of the struggles we've had this year, that you, one, you'll realise you're not alone. Actually, you're, you're joining here with fellow sufferers of the world, and actually you're in good company. And, and two, I pray, uh, my prayer is that you'd continually share struggles with each other that you wouldn't feel that loneliness, you'd receive comfort from the church and you'd turn from sin and pursue him. Yes. So let's just pray, let's just ask the great comforter to come even to right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you into this room amongst fellow sufferers of this world. Lord, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you promised to never leave us. Lord, thank you for the truths that are littered throughout Scripture, for times when life is hard, when it's not going as we planned. So we pray even now this morning, do a work in our hearts, lift our eyes up to you, that we see that you are good through all situations and circumstances, Lord. Amen. 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 Great. We're going to be reading from uh, uh, t- the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. He, he writes this and prays this for the Corinthians. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed... 
it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So let's try and understand suffering a bit more. What is it? How does it impact? So first of all, I think when we read what Paul says to the Corinthians, and generally what we know from life, is suffering isn't optional. Actually, if you're born, you're going to suffer at some point in different degrees. That is going to happen. But as Christians, what Paul says here is not only are you going to suffer like everyone else, but there's a specific suffering that reserved just for you. How great is that? (laughs) So, do you all want to become Christians? It's a bit like this. So, when we talk about God's grace, um, we have this phrasing of common grace and salvation grace. So, common grace is the grace of God that's shown to all people, regardless of whether they're believers or not. So, that could be things like having the sun shining on us and enjoying that, enjoying God's beauty. You can walk around and enjoy that, regardless of whether you're a believer or not. It's the um, just being able to breathe in oxygen, being able to have health, being able to have relationships. Those things are common grace that God gives to all people. But then there's salvation grace, and that is, sub, that is grace that's specific for the believer. Actually, for those who turn from their lives of sin and say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus, and recognizing the sins being paid for at the cross, and they, they do not have to fear death. For you guys, there's specific grace for you. That's salvation grace. And in the same way, that's the same with suffering. You've got common suffering, which we all experience. Ill health, Death, natural disasters, things like that. But you also have uh, salvation suffering, suffering specific for the, for the believer. That's persecution from man, from people in your workplace. And also, in the, don- in the demonic world, attacks from Satan. That is specific for the, for the believer. But the more I read into suffering, the more I read different ways that people would categorize suffering. So the Gospel Coalition, they did an article which they categorized it in these three sections. Deserved suffering. So that's when we sin, we suffer, we suffer misery because of the sin we committed. So that would be like, commit murder, get life sentence, uh, you lose your freedom. That's deserved suffering. You've got innocent suffering. That's when we don't sin. We do nothing wrong, but we still suffer. So that could be like being born into poverty and not having your daily kind of food that you need and clothes that you wear. That would be innocent suffering. You've got righteous suffering, much like before, like salvation suffering that I explained. So not only do we, do we not sin, but we actually do what is right. We stand up for Jesus, we stand up for the gospel, yet we suffer for it. Yeah. The problem is, the more I read about these, how people would categorise um, suffering, I felt... I don't know how what I've been experiencing fits into any of these categories. It didn't quite work for me. And the problem with being unable to understand your suffering and categorize it as suffering is if you, don't, if you aren't able to do that, then these verses that we've read from Paul to the Corinthian church just don't have the same impact. They don't quite fit in. And you think, actually, Paul, are you speaking to me here? Have I experienced suffering? Because it doesn't fit into these categories. So being a bit cryptic, uh, I guess for those of you who don't know us, and uh, me and Vic, uh, my wife, and you don't know our story, uh, you might be thinking, what's actually been going on? Let me tell you a bit of our story. So over the last few years, we were exploring the call to go church planting. So start up a new con- uh, community of believers um, to reach a, a local community. Last autumn, 
We moved to London. I grew up in London. I've always been keen to go back there. And we looked to plant a church into the area of Wembley in northwest London. We had a small team with us, and we had a whole number of contacts. We were going to start to tap up and invite them to come and join us and say, come be a part of this. Over those early months, we worked hard. We wrote strategies. We made a website. We made a video. We prayed a lot. We worshipped. We dreamt together. We cried together. We argued. And we had doubts. We had dinner after dinner after dinner, trying to woo people in and say, come join us. We prayed more again and again. We had neighborhood parties, and we had some good experiences. There were some wins, and we had a number of things that just didn't seem to be working out for us. We felt we tried to do too much too quickly. And with too few wins under our belt and too much self-doubt creeping in, it was just leaving us emotionally, physically, mentally and spiritually exhausted. So in the summer, we took the decision to stop, to call it a day. And we've spent the last few months processing that and the, um, processing the past, processing all these decisions we've made and planning for the future. So I've raced through our story very quickly. And I'm aware I haven't given lots of detail. I've failed to express the depths of emotional lows that we experienced. The loss of a dream that we had. The, frust the frustration at God, thinking, God, where were you? The tears that were shed and the loneliness that we felt. The embarrassment of failure and the managing of people's expectations. It was tiring. The loss of identity. And I could just go on and on. And so you see, I struggled to categorize how this suffering fitted into kind of some of the um, categories I shared earlier. It doesn't quite fit into the box of common suffering or salvation suffering. I mean, there's bits of both. And again, with deserved innocent and righteous suffering, there's little bits I could see, but it didn't quite fit. You see, because nothing serious happened. We're still in good health. Our kids are happy. Joan had a great school. We had a nice house. Food was in our bellies. Money was coming in, so bills were getting paid. And so on that context... Uh, Taking all that in, I was like, just telling myself, Andy, get over it. It's a small blip in the grand scheme of eternity. Why, why are you so bothered by it? So the psalmist in Psalm 42 says, why are you downcast on my soul? That's what I was telling myself. Why are you downcast on my soul? Arise and, and praise your maker. And yet I'm still not able to get over it. I'm still working through it. There's still healing to be done. Why? It's because it's real suffering. It doesn't look bad in comparison to many other people's situations, and I understand that. But it's still real. And I guess there's some people to here today who probably need to hear that. You've been going through difficult times, and you're feeling, I just need to get over it. And actually, there is a space for that, but actually there's also an understanding of my suffering is real. I'm going through this. Yes. Yes. 
And so I guess what really helped me was having a chat with, with Vic. She's always good at bringing clarity to where my, my head's not kind of very clear. And so she, she suggested a new way of trying to understand suffering, which I found really helpful, and it might be helpful for you too. So there's an axis which maybe you just want to put up. She suggested this. Rather than having specific boxes to put in, having a scale. So on one scale of the axis, you've got absolute suffering to relative suffering. Absolute would be things which are generally universally accepted as suffering, as difficult, as hard. Be things like death, serious ill health, that sort of thing. To the opposite end, which is relative. It's, rel it's suffering in your own context. So again, if you look at poverty, you might be thinking, oh, I'm, I don't have much money, but then you compare yourself to someone growing up in a slum, and you think, actually, I've got loads. And on the other axis, you've got objective to subjective. So objective would be something like that's very factual, that's uh, that can be observed very clearly, that everyone can tick off, yeah, I see that suffering and I can see that. To subjective, on the other end, which is very personal. It's an opinion and feeling. So I guess if you're comparing objective and subjective, you could say uh, objective is like when you're struggling with physical health, relative, uh, subjective is maybe something more like mental health. Other people can't see it, but it's going on inside of you. So now that I had a framework to understand my suffering, I was able to apply a script to myself thinking, actually, no, this is suffering. It's just not categorised how the Gospel Coalition would categorise it. <laughs> and like I said before, I'm very aware there's people in this room who actually, if you're suffering from, say, what would be classified as like um, absolute suffering, actually, it can be extremely difficult and extremely hard. And you think, you could be looking at me right now thinking, Andy, I would swap my life for you any day. Mm. And I, I recognise that and I feel for you, I really do. Um, and I hope that this morning, whatever suffering you're experiencing, I hope you'll find that there's hope in the midst of that. So in times of suffering, we all desire comfort. Paul, he, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he knew that. Why? Because he had experienced suffering himself. He had probably experienced more suffering than most of us probably put together. So the question we want to ask Paul is, how was he able to speak so much of comfort in this verse to the Corinthians whilst experiencing such extreme suffering? Well, I think the main reason for Paul was his unfaltering, unwavering understanding of who God is. Yes. That God promised to remain unchanged through all circumstances. Whatever Paul went through, he was the same God. And so Paul attributed two Titles, two wonderful titles to God at the start of this letter. And that's what we're going to look at now. The two things that Paul desperately wanted in life, he realised he could get from God. And I think these two things are two things that I don't think there's anyone in this world that if they're offered to them freely, they would not accept. The first one is mercy. He called him the father of mercies. What is mercy? It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or harm. Who doesn't want that? I mean, if you just pause for a second and you think through your life and you think of the things that you've done and said to people, or not done and not said to people that you should have, and think of the hurt you've caused people and how they've responded. Actually, to receive mercy in those situations when you know you should have been treated badly, but instead someone's responded 
my sin, that's why I forgive you. That is what we desire. We want that. Think of all the celebrities and people in the moment, at the moment who in the news are saying, 10 years ago you wrote this social media post, we hate you for it. Actually, how would they, des- they would so desire to have mercy in that moment where actually the person turns around and says, we, we want to hate you, but we're going to forgive you. Yeah. Actually, we desire mercy. Number two is comfort. His description of God and his, the name he attributes to God is the God of all comfort. What is comfort? It's a state of ease and freedom from pain or restraint. Constraint. So Paul, he found these two things when he was on the road to Damascus. He'd been going around trying to kill and execute Christians um, because he didn't want the church to continue. He hated Christians. And he met the God of these, the Christians on the road to Damascus and he experienced mercy and comfort. And without a doubt, there would have been times, time and time again, Paul would have probably experienced moments, much like when uh, we, hear, we read about the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts, where he would have witnessed these Christians, as, he's ki- as, it, as they're being killed, he would have witnessed something on their face that expressed peace and joy. And he would have been weighing up these two things. How, in a, such a violent act that's, a, that's happening right now, is there peace on their face? These... Violence and peace don't go together, but yet he's witnessing in front of himself, in front of his eyes. And I'm sure it would have stirred curiosity, stirred in his heart, what is it about these guys that they're able to have such peace at, in a moment of such violence? And now Paul was finding that he was in a similar situation to these, these Christians that he'd been trying to kill. In fact, in the same letter to, two, uh, to Corinthians, in chapter 11, he lists off a whole load of things that happens to him. And so this is where I'm saying, actually, if you've had a hard life, listen to this. This is Paul's life. He says, I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent one night and day in the open sea. I was constantly on the move, never being able to settle. I experienced danger from rivers, from bandits, from both Jews and Gentiles. I experienced danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea. I experienced danger from false believers. I laboured and toiled. I'd often gone without sleep. I'd known hunger and thirst, often gone without food. I'd been cold and I'd been naked. And yet, even through all of this that he'd experienced, in chapter 7 of the same letter to the Corinthian church, he says, I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. He's filled with comfort and overflowing with joy. Through that long list of things that not one of us would want to go through, he's filled with comfort and overflowing with joy. How can he be filled with comfort when he's getting lashed 40 times minus the one? How can he be filled with comfort when he's out in the open sea for night and a day? But yeah, he is. Paul had discovered that all the mercy that he needed to clear his conscience, so inside he felt clean and good, the guilt and shame was gone, it was found in the Father of mercies. Paul knew that the comfort that enabled the martyrs to be at peace before their death 
was not going to come from any kind of comfort that can be bought with money. It was not dependent on physical health. It was not dependent on financial security. It wasn't dependent on what we would call quality of life that we also desire and argue for and fight for. All the comfort he needed, physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually, was found in the God of all comfort. Paul understood who his father was. And that what was the result of that? He was overflowing with joy. When he realised his father was fighting for him and loved him dearly and was never going to change, it filled his heart with joy. And he also knew that the mercy and the comfort that he was experiencing on this earth, that he knew if his physical body was ever to give way to the suffering that he was experiencing, it was just a small foretaste of what was to come. It was a small bit of the glory that he was going to have. So when the promises of God... So let me read this quote from Scott Hubbard. He's a pastor in America. He says, When the promises of God seem powerless to quieten our fears, soothe our grief, lift our worries, or motivate our obedience, we need to do more than simply hear his promises again. We need to behold the God who gives them. Paul's eyes were lifted to the Father of mercies and to the God of all comfort. He beheld the God of the Bible, and this enabled him to hold on to the promises that he had received. So this is the God that he's responding to, but now Paul takes a slightly different turn, and he, and he shakes things up with some, a remarkable truth. He starts to talk about this wonderful kind of bring and share party that's going on. He says, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles. So you've got God up here who has got all the comfort, okay, all the comfort. And we're down here with our troubles. And it says God shares his comfort with us while we're in our troubles. Why does he do this? Well, it says so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we've received. So you've got God up here with all the comfort, us down here with all our troubles, Comfort comes down, now we're sharing the comfort out. Because this, the, that, that comfort isn't stopping. It's just not a small bit that comes down. It is flowing down. Yes. And what's amazing in all this is God does not have to use us to share comfort. Because throughout the Bible, he's got a good track record of using other, uh, other means. He's used ravens. He's used rainbows. He's used manna. He's used miracles. He's used angels. But yet, again, he still uses a Titus. He's who he sends to Paul. He's got Phoebe, who also goes to Paul to bring comfort. Again and again, he uses a fellow struggler to go to another fellow struggler. He takes much greater joy in showing kindness and concern for his people through using his people. So up till now, Paul's been speaking about comfort, which is great. We all want a bit of comfort. But now he changes it and starts to talk about suffering. He says, we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ. Hang on a sec. Again, this isn't really a good sales pitch for people to become Christians. I thought we want the comfort, not the suffering. But he says, we share the suffering of Christ. And not just a bit. He says, we share it abundantly. In the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to as the man of sorrows. That is who we're now sharing with, the man of sorrows. You think, I don't want to share Something with a life who, who someone's called a man of sorrows? That doesn't sound good. Yeah. 
This man, Jesus, this God-man, he carried the pain and the guilt of sin for the whole world. He left the comfort of his heavenly home and the, and the dwelling with his father to come down alongside us. Fallen humanity in a fallen world. Like the prince giving up his place in the palace to come down to the slum. He gave up perfect comfort he had experienced for all eternity to submit himself to the Father's will and to rescue us from the filth that we're trapped ourselves in. Yes. How, how did he do that? By being mocked, tortured. He was stripped naked, embarrassed, and then he was placed on the cross to die. And Paul says we share in his suffering. Good news, everyone. So what's Paul saying? He's basically saying, if you want to follow Jesus, the world will treat you like they treated Jesus. The world rejected Jesus, the world will reject you. You will suffer like him. So I know this may not sound great, but he quickly follows it up. So after saying that we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ... He says, so also our, our comfort abounds through Christ. So the same sharing of comfort from Christ, actually there's a, this marvellous abounding of comfort that comes from Christ as well. It's not this trickle that comes down. It's not this lucky dip that you might get some, you might get some, sorry, not you. It's this abounding, this, this pouring out, this gushing forth of the comfort that overflows from the heavenly throne. You can't escape it. But it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can experience the comfort from the God of all comfort and it flows freely to you. Paul says that the suffering he experiences is for the church's comfort and salvation. If he is comforted, it is for the church's comfort too. So whether Paul is experiencing suffering or comfort, he says it's for the same purpose. It's for the comfort of the church. So Paul is experiencing this lavish overflow of comfort that's coming to him. So whether he goes through comfort or whether he goes through suffering, it is overflowing from him into the rest of the church and he's pouring out comfort. So even for us today, when we're, when we're reading these uh, letters that he's wrote to the churches to encourage them and to comfort them, we experience that comfort as well. Because Paul's gone through that suffering, he's experienced that comfort, we can experience that comfort. Yes. And this is what Paul's saying. It says, our, com- our sufferings are meant to be worked out through community. They're not meant to be worked out on our own. And that is how we receive the comfort of God. However, ironically, the very thing we want to do when we're feeling our most low, when we're feeling the most shame, when we're feeling the most um, pain, is run away and do the opposite. I think when we call time in the summer... I just felt like all I wanted to do was go and hide. I wanted to go somewhere where no one knew me, no one knew my name, no one knew anything about me, and I could just hide. But I can tell you in total honesty, honesty, since the summer, every situation that I've wanted to avoid, every situation where I've been around a group of Christians, I can honestly say, I've just experienced love and grace, understanding and encouragement. And the more I've shared my pain, the more my heart has been warmed to the gospel. The easier I've found it to behold the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. See, the last few months, 
it's been really hard to lift my eyes. It's been really hard to behold the God of all comfort. Feeling, feeling isolated and having lack of community around us. I felt I needed others to lift my head. I felt weak. I know, honestly, there's times just reading the Bible and praying, it was hard. And there was sometimes it wasn't just hard, it was actually I just didn't want to do it. It was this, this pain I was feeling, thinking, God, I don't want to go to you right now. And I, I can tell you, this is the reason we've decided to make, we made the call to come back to God first. Because I look around this room, and I know there's plenty of friends in this room who are closer to us than they're like family. Actually, there's people in this room who, who know me and Vic well, who know our issues, who know our faults, who know our shame, and yet we're still loved. We're not rejected. And I, and I see people in this room who I think actually they have trusted me and Vic enough to share their shame, their issues, their embarrassments, and they know they're still loved by us. And there's this great moment in, in community when you feel loved and accepted and known. It's important to both feel loved and known. Because those are two different things. If you're only known, then you're always feeling insecure that you're not really loved. If you're only loved and not known, then you feel insecure that people are, oh yeah, they might love me, but they don't really know me. So if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. So you need to be known and loved. And when you're in those moments, when you're in a place where you feel that I'm known here and I'm loved here, then you can be honest. You can tell people the things that you think, oh, I just wouldn't want anyone to know that. I'd feel so ashamed. Because you feel that security of, actually, in, in my faults, I'm still going to have a place, a family, to work this through. And also, it provides a great environment to, to bring challenge as well. And when I say challenge, I don't mean let's knock them while they're down. But it can be just a gentle challenge of, come on, you can, you can do more. So I know even when um, Howard asked me if I want to uh, preach this preach, and even up to last week, I was saying, Howard, I really don't know whether I can. And he just gently challenged me and encouraged me and said, come on, this will be good for you. Do it. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And it's just that gentle challenge that can come in suffering, that if you're not known and loved, it can be, feel so harsh and so difficult. So find yourself in community. Join a, a G1C. Get into community and be known and be loved. So fellow sufferers of this world, this morning there's hope for your suffering. There's real joy to be experienced in your suffering. There's real healing for the shame you feel, for the guilt you feel, for both past and present experiences that are happening, that continue to cause you suffering. I want to encourage you to lift your eyes to the God of all comfort. Behold him. Behold him before you. And when you behold him, you'll be able to hold on to his promises much easier. I want you to, I want you to take your, the, the gaze of your eyes off this life and look to the one that is to come when there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more guilt or shame. What we experience now, in part, we will on that day experience in full the, unin, the unexplainable joy during suffering that perplexes and equally entices non-believers is freely available for you. So seek community in this church. The church with all her faults, 
all her issues is the channel that God has chosen, is the means that God has chosen to reveal his comfort to you, to your heart. So this morning, we are going to be responding. We're going to be taking communion together. We're going to be going before the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, and, and receiving his mercy as we, we, eat, we eat from the table, the, the bread and the wine. And we'll have a chance to pray as well. But my encouragement this morning is, let not your prayer be quick to say, let this suffering pass from us and depart from us. Because, so Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, he said this, he says, those who dive into the sea of affliction, they bring up rare jewels. There's a time in your affliction and in your suffering that God wants to do a great work in you. He wants to chisel off some of the things which just shouldn't be there. When you're making gold, it has to go into the fire to come out as pure gold. And that is God's heart. He's more important about the content of your, your character than succeeding in a church plan, than in, in, in all the other things that suffering may entail. Laura brought a picture this morning about a boggy marsh and coming out. Yes, for some of you, the boggy marshes, you're going to be coming out and, uh, and there's the real joy then we're going to celebrate together. For some of you, your boggy marsh might continue for much longer. But actually... God walks with you through that boggy marsh. So let's not waste our suffering. Instead, through our suffering, let's pray that we'll draw much closer to the man of sorrows. Let's pray that we'll draw much closer to the Father of mercies, because it's mercy that we all desire, and the God of all comfort. It's that comfort that we want. And I want to pray that we'd have an opportunity for some of us here who just need to be comforted. You might need that massive daddy hug from heaven saying, actually, I'm with you, I love you, and you feel that oh, God is still with me. You might not feel like you want a big hug. I remember me over the summer, I felt numb. The emotions, I just almost wanted to pack away. So it wasn't like I felt like I wanted a big hug, but it's just this numbness in me, and you might be feeling that. You're just numb to many of the emotions that might be going on for you, and you might just need that release of, ah. Oh, I need to feel what's really going on for me so I can really understand my suffering. Or for some of you, it'd be good to pray that actually, if there's a reason that uh, there's a block in your life that's stopping you from drawing near to the comforter, that there's lies that you've believed about the God of all comfort, that he is at fault, that he's done something that's caused you to feel the suffering. I think that's a very real feeling. I think I've felt that this summer. If you're feeling God's to blame, we'd love to pray for you this morning. I think it's really helpful just looking at my son Jonah. When he, when he hurts himself, when he falls over and cries, the first thing he wants to do is run to, run to me or Vic. So he'll, he'll look at me and, and he'll just want to be comforted. However, if there's a moment in where he's fallen and hurt himself that he feels I'm to blame, he will stand there and accuse me rather than coming to me for comfort and it's only when he gets to the point where he realises he's only going to feel that comfort when he lets go of that accusation and just comes and has a hug actually for some of us we're in that situation where we're still pointing the finger at God and say God I'm, I'm feeling this because of you and it's only when you realise your heavenly father is there ready to comfort you 
that he's not the reason for your suffering, that actually he's there to help you through it. And thirdly, I think that actually there's some of us here who we've avoided suffering, the righteous suffering, the, the salvation suffering that Paul says that we should be experiencing. And I include myself into that as well. That actually we have chosen to not pursue Christ in the way that we maybe uh, feel like we want to and should do. Instead, we've chosen earthly comfort, which is, which is always going to let us down. And I just want us to have a chance to respond to that and, and say, God, I want to I wanna pursue you with all that I have and not deliberately avoid the persecution that might be coming. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.